Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I am delighted to be here with you this morning, getting to do something that I love to do, which is teach. Now, when Arturo and I talked about this morning, um, the last time uh, he asked me to preach, he gave me a very narrow topic, renew. And so I said, Arturo, could you give me perhaps uh, something just a little broader, a little more general that I can take in any direction? So he gave me the Old Testament. <laughs> Thanks, Arturo. <clears throat> and so then I said, well, you know, I'd like the next time to be not quite so broad. So in about a month, I'll be talking on the New Testament. Now, those of you who know me, by the way, y'all, I'm a pacer. When you're, when you're as um, hyperactive and ADD as I am, you have to pace. So if it gets on your nerves, I'm so sorry. Um, <clears throat> those of you who know me know that I do not have a creative bone in my body. So I thought about the title of this lesson for... I don't know, an hour, two hours, maybe more. And I finally decided to title this lesson on the Old Testament, The Old Testament. So this morning we're going to look at the Old Testament, and I would like to start by giving you um, a detail or three, hopefully enough to pique your interest and not bore you to tears. And then I even, I want you to know that my hope and prayer is after our time together that you will have a renewed interest in the Old Testament. If you're afraid of it, you'll give it a second try. Um, if it has bored you, that you'll give it a second try. If you think of the Old Testament uh, featuring God as a God of wrath and not as a God of love and forgiveness, I hope you'll con be convinced that God in the Old Testament and God in the New Testament are one and the same, and they actually are both a God of wrath and a God of love. So a detail or two about the Old Testament. There are 39 books. The first five books are called the Book of Moses. The Jews call it the Torah. Um, we call it the Pentateuch. And Believe it or not, I actually looked up the pronunciation of Pentateuch because I've never known how, known how to say it properly until yesterday. We call the first five books the Pentateuch. Then there are the 12 books of history, five books of poetry, and the final 17 books of the Old Testament are the books of the prophets. And now just a couple of fun things to know and tell. The New Testament quotes Isaiah more often than the other 16 prophets combined. Like I said, fun things to know and tell. I don't think that's going to draw anybody closer to the Lord, but just sort of an interesting fact. And speaking of interesting facts, there are 613 commandments in the first five books of the Bible the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 613 commandments. And 
I am so grateful that my salvation is not dependent upon my obedience to those 613 commandments because I didn't actually go back and count, but I figure that I have disobeyed somewhere between 550 and 600 of those 613. So thank you, Lord, that my salvation is not based on obedience to those commandments. Jesus refers to these first five books as the law. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law and prophets, but I came to fulfill them. And I think that is a very important point. Jesus did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, essentially the Old Testament. He came to fulfill it. And now I'd like to quote from my, my student Bible. This, I think I'm even going to read this to, to you twice just because I find this so profound. The law was never intended to make possible a way to God. If you don't know that, I hope you get your arms around that. Rather, the law was given to lead us to Christ by convincing us of the impossibility of gaining God's acceptance on our own. One more time for emphasis. The law was never intended to make possible a way to God. Rather, the law was given to lead us to Christ by convincing us of the impossibility of gaining God's acceptance on our own. And I am so, so grateful for God's grace. So grateful that He doesn't make His approval of me dependent on my keeping His law. So now, uh, let's get into uh, what I really want to focus on this morning. Um, And I'll start with a rhetorical question. Is the God of the Old Testament the same as the God of the New Testament? Some say that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath. Others say that the God of the New Testament is a God of love. I am convinced that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are one and the same. And interestingly enough, they are both. God in the Old Testament is a God of wrath and love. God in the New Testament is a God of wrath and love. In Malachi, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. And once again, I say, thank you, Lord. He goes on to say, so you, descendants of Jacob, that's Israel, that's the Jews, his people. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. God himself says, I don't change. In Psalm 102, the psalmist says that God remains the same and his years never end. Throughout the Bible, we see his terrifying wrath and judgment, as well as his unconditional and sacrificial love. So, I actually want to spend the rest of our time together focusing on God in the Old Testament And we are going to focus on his love and his forgiveness because I make the assumption, and yes, I know what they say about assuming, but I make the assumption that the average person thinks that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath 
and there's very little love and very little forgiveness. And I hope by the end of our time together, you will know differently. Um, So from here on, we're focused on the Old Testament. I'll be back in a month or so, and we'll focus on the New Testament. And maybe one sort of I don't know, this might be my 10th introductory comment, but one one point before I get strictly to the Old Testament. I'd like to point out that the God revealed in the Old Testament is the same God who reveals himself through Jesus in the New Testament. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, listen to the fact that God is a God of love and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming. All right, y'all, this is, this is where God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. And I, I have to share with you what I think is funny. There's a, there's a movie that I think my mustache was reddish brown. This movie was so old. Uh, it's called History of the World Part One. It's by Mel Brooks. And in this movie, Mel Brooks plays Moses. And they show Mel Brooks coming down with three stone tablets. And he says, oh God, I thank you for these 15. And then one of the stone tablets falls out of his hand. And he says, I thank you for these 10 commandments. So I just, I just thought that was hysterical. So this is, this is when God has given Moses the Ten Commandments, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, listen to what God proclaims, this God of wrath. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's the God of wrath, that we've associated him with being a wrathful God in the Old Testament. But he is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So from here on, y'all, I want to share a handful of Old Testament verses And these Old Testament verses, I think, do a beautiful job of showing us that our God has always been a God of love and forgiveness, and He didn't just figure that out with the birth of Jesus. So, let's start with uh, Jeremiah 31.3, and you can see, now y'all have to focus, don't read ahead. Don't read ahead. You'll miss, you'll miss an important point here. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Yes, sir, sports fans, this God of wrath has loved us with an everlasting love. He has drawn us with unfailing kindness. And now a couple of verses from Isaiah. Um, If you're not familiar with these verses, jot them down. 
read them again at home. Uh, if you're up to it, I would even suggest that you memorize them. If you have trouble forgiving yourself, these verses are going to be a breath of fresh air to you, a ray of sunshine. Let's start. Isaiah 43, 25, God says, I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. I want to talk through that a little bit. So let's, let's say you're sitting in your chair watching TV and you reach for your glass of red wine, I mean grape juice, you reach for your glass of grape juice and you knock it on the rug. What do you do? If you're like me, I don't really spring up anymore, but you get up, you go to the kitchen, you got to get a towel, and you come back in, and you try to blot out that stain. You try to get rid of that stain. That's what God does with our transgressions. And by the way, transgressions is just a big word for sin. He blots out our transgressions or sins and he says why he does it, for my own sake. See, God created us to have fellowship with us. That fellowship was broken by sin. And he blots out our transgressions for his sake. And he remembers our sins no more. That sets the bar very high. And as much as possible, we should attempt to follow his example and remember our sins no more once we've confessed them, and remember the sins of others as well. And just listen to the imagery of Isaiah 44, 22. He says, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Isn't that a beautiful image of how God gets rid of our sins for his own sake. Then he says, return to me for I have redeemed you. Now, um, excuse me, I think redeemed is one of those church words that we need to stop and talk about just a minute. When God says he's redeemed us, to redeem is to buy back by paying a price. So God has bought us back. The implication is that we were His once upon a time. So He has bought us back by paying a price. And the price is He so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. The price is the blood of Jesus spilled for us. And now, let's keep going. Um, I want to talk about Jeremiah 29, 11 next. And some of you will know Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you have memorized Jeremiah 29, 11. But I'd like to talk about this, hopefully in perhaps a slightly different light. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. All right, this was written in around 600 B.C., and it was either written when the Israelites were in Babylonian captivity or they were fixing to go into Babylonian captivity. And this 
if not, this was, if not the darkest time in Israel's history, one of the darkest times, because involved with going into Babylonian captivity, they went into exile for 70 years, their temple was destroyed, and yet God says this to them, I know the plans I have for you, either, and I know you're in, you're in exile now, or you're fixing to go into exile but my plans are to prosper you and not harm you. My plans are to give you a hope and a future. And here's the beautiful thing about the Word of God, our Bible. That was written 2,600 years ago, and I think it's as applicable to us today in 2023 as it was to the Israelites either in exile or right before exile. Believe it or not, I've got one more verse for you, and then we'll close. And this is Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. And let me talk about it a touch in advance. Um, if another note you could make to yourself if you'd like to. It would be worth your while to read all of Isaiah 53 if you've never done so. It is the most prophetic chapter in the Bible, and it talks about what Jesus did for us, what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago, and the prophecy was written about Jesus about 700 years before he did this. But he, and I'll even, I'll just say, but he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. Remember, his hands and his feet were pierced when they nailed him to the cross. Remember, they stuck a sword in his side to make sure he was dead. So he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Now, I don't think it means literally he was crushed, but I think figuratively he was crushed. He was broken because he was about to experience for the first time in his life not having fellowship with God. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, that's what we're talking about. His dying on the cross in our place for our sins brought us peace. That punishment was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. And you know, when I contemplate all of us going astray, you have to ask the question, why would we do that? Well, I mean, the answer is we're sinners. But if we know how wonderful it is to be in constant fellowship with God, why would we like sheep go astray? And I thought of one of my favorite lines by the comedian Ron White, where he says, you just can't fix stupid. And I'm telling you, sheep are stupid animals. And we, when like sheep, we go astray, we're pretty stupid too. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. A prophecy 700 years before it was fulfilled by Jesus and now 2,000 years later, this has life-changing impact on us.
So, the Savior who was promised in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. And we will talk much more about that when I get to come back and be here in a month. So permit me to close this in prayer. And um, the band will mysteriously appear when y'all raise your head up. Father, thank you so very much that you never change. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And thank you that you are a God of love, a God who wants to forgive, and a God who wants to fellowship. Yes, there is that wrathful aspect to you, but thank you that you love us, that you want to forgive us, and you want to spend an eternity with us. I pray that, that our takeaway this morning will to be to give these 39 books of the Old Testament a second try and look for you in, these, in the, this Scripture and see that you truly are a God of love and forgiveness throughout the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen.